You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. For those of y'all don't know me, had a chance to meet me today. My name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here at Refuge. Now, let me say something real quick. Uh, this is our first service at this school. And so I haven't worked out how comfortable I'm going to be up here or on them steps or down there. So I reserve the right to move any place that I elect and choose to move today. Uh, and so if I'm speaking here for a moment and then I step to that step, and before you know it, I'm like right on the, on the white floor with you. I reserve the right to do that, okay, because I'm still figuring it out. Now, uh, to the business at hand, happy Easter. All right, yeah, there was like... Yeah, yeah, it picked up energy. It picked up some energy. I like that. All right. Uh, he is risen. Yo, so let me tell y'all something real quick. I didn't grow up with that. Someone, one of y'all, I'll keep the name to myself, told me that that was a thing uh, because I didn't grow up saying that. And so first time somebody was like, hey, looked at me like, he is risen. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, and I was like yeah, you're right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And they were like, he's risen indeed. And I was like, bro, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And I was like, the first years of my life, I wasn't even in an English-speaking church, bro. I don't even, I don't know what you're saying right now. But I did mention to somebody before the service, they were like, well, didn't y'all have some type of like callback type of thing? And uh, I mentioned that it, it really does go in line with something like today, where uh, in the Spanish-speaking churches, um, oftentimes charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds, they'll say something to the effect of, and I'll see if anybody says it back here, maybe, maybe not. They'll say something like, quien vivo, quien vive. See? No, 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 no. Okay. So what? Cristo. Okay. No, close, close. So it would be quien vive, and then it would be Cristo. Y a su nombre, Gloria, y a nosotros, uh, la victoria. So it would be who lives, Christ, and to his name, glory, and to us, the victory. Uh, and so that, that's my version of it. So next year, if you're here, you better hit back with some Cristo, all right? Just letting you know. All right. Anyway, point being... Um, hey, if you don't, actually, I already said that. My notes are doing me wrong here. Um, well, hey, if you're new with us today, uh, today's sermon uh, may not quite be like a normal Easter sermon, if I'm being honest, like an Easter service sermon. Uh, rather than trying to do something distinct or different than Easter, we actually kind of just are going to continue our time worshiping God as we usually would. Uh, and really taking the time to invite you uh, to participate in what we would usually do here as a church in worshiping God, entering into the world, and, and asking him to connect with us here today, right? Asking him uh, to connect with us. And, and more, more than, than just like opening the Bible, reading it, and hoping that it informs us in some way, asking God and inviting him to, to meet us here as we open the words of Scripture, to not just inform us, but rather to transform us. Uh, to lead us to a place where we're worshiping him, where our hearts are full of, of, of just seeing who he is, responding to it, uh, being changed by seeing who he is. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what we do every week. And so that's what we're going to do this week. And so I invite you to, to open your heart, to, to maybe um, uh, open your mind, say, okay, what's going to go on here? And, and more than anything, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm trying to say. I invite you to participate with us in doing that, right? Press into the next few minutes. As we open this book, as we talk about these ideas, be vulnerable. Ask yourself questions as we're working through a text. When I ask questions, don't just hear them as rhetorical. Hear them as applicable, right? I'm asking you because I think they're important for us, not just because I think they're good, 
good just in general or, or, or kind of snarky questions for a sermon. I, I think they're helpful. And so participate with us as we go on through the next few minutes. Uh, but with that being said, today we're going to continue and finish up uh, a sermon series we've been in here at the church entitled I Am. And it's where we're exploring the seven statements Jesus made about himself in the book of John. Statements like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Y'all probably heard a lot of these before in your life. And you may be asking yourself, right, like, why are these type of statements important, right? Why is it important to be thinking about what Jesus said about himself? Well, uh, we say here at Refuge, we have core, three core rhythms to connect with God, to grow with family, and to serve the city. They're actually right over there on that big sign, just looking at you in the face, right? So connect with God, grow with family, and serve the city. The only issue is that if we want to connect with God, the first rhythm, uh, then we're probably going to want to know, like, like, who we're connecting with, right? And, and through the Gospel of John, Jesus makes some gnarly claims. He makes some outlandish claims, stuff that, uh, if it weren't true, we definitely look at Jesus and be like, man, this man is crazy, right? This man is crazy. He's saying some outlandish things. Most specifically, he repeatedly makes claims about his own identity, stuff that doesn't just point to, like, he's the Messiah, stuff that doesn't just point to things like he's a prophet, but stuff that points to the idea of Jesus being like, yo, I'm God. Snap. That's, like, that's kind of like an intense step to take, bro. And if we as Christians, hear me, if we as Christians believe that these statements about Jesus are true, that Jesus is God, that what he says about himself is correct, uh, that if, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God the Father, that's John 14, that, that Jesus and the Father are one, that's, that's John 10, that before all history began, Jesus has always been here and always will be, that he is the great I am that, that uh, Moses met in Exodus 3, John, uh, Jesus says that in John 8, then everything else he says about himself starts to take on a new flavor, right? Because if he, what he's saying there is true, then that means everything else he's saying about himself is not just a description of a prophet. It's not just a description of a good teacher. It's not just a description of a, of a revolutionary or a helper to hurting people, though it is probably statements about him being that. But even more so, his words about himself carry with them the description not of just those things, but also of God himself. When Jesus says, I'm near to the brokenhearted, he's saying that as God, God is near to the brokenhearted. And this is why when he's saying things like, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, God is the bread of life. Right? When he's saying, I, I, I'm the way, the truth, and life, he's saying, God is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's why we weigh these statements and say, okay, let's learn about these. We want to know who God is. We want to connect with God. We want to engage. We want to invite him to inform our mind, inform our hearts, how, like teach us, yo, how do I walk through life? How do I go about my day? And that's why we look at these words like this, okay? And so today we're going to finish up with, with the last of the seven statements that we've been covering. And it is, I am the resurrection. Now, I am going to go ahead and say we did plan that for Easter. Now, I, I, was, I was up here being like, we're just going to do what we normally do. That's not normal. We did actively put I am the resurrection at Easter. And we're like, all right, let's build like around this on a schedule, right? Uh, but uh, we're finishing up with I am the resurrection. And if there's one point, one idea that I really want you to take home today, it's this. That the resurrection is an invitation to the surprising truth that God desires to meet us where we are and bless us with what we need. That the resurrection is an invitation to the surprising truth that God desires to meet us where we are and bless us with what we need. We're going to go ahead and take a look at uh, John 11, 21 through 27 uh, that Cassie just read. We're going to take a look at two ideas from this text. The first is taking a look at our response. 
Now, what do I mean by our response? I mean our response to the difficulties of life, the questions of life, the challenges of life. That's what we're going to take a look at when we say our response. But then after that, we're going to take a look at God's response. How did God also respond to those situations in the person of Jesus? Because Jesus is responding to those situations. But also, how does he respond to our responses? Like, he's caring for people his whole time on earth. And people like us are giving wild responses to things. Sometimes they're like, yo, this is amazing. I'm going to follow you. And sometimes they're like, I'm going to stone you. How is he responding to these types of deals, right? How is God responding? And so our response and God's response. And so let's go ahead and dive in and get started with our response. We're going to take a look at verse 21 and 22. They go like this. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Uh, Before we jump in here, real quick, uh, we need to understand a little bit of context, a little bit of backstory to get the full weight of what's happening. Right? You see, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and the brother of Mary and Martha, who we just read about right now. And Lazarus uh, dying here, uh, when Jesus gets to the funeral service where he meets Martha, when Jesus gets there and, and Martha looks at him and is like, man, my, if you'd been here, my brother went to die. That's actually not news to Jesus. Um, in verse 14, we see that Jesus already knows that Lazarus has died. He looked at his disciples like he's asleep. And the disciples were like, that means he's going to get better. And then Jesus was like, y'all, I'm trying to say that he's dead. And then it was like, oh, right? So, so we already see that Jesus knows what's happening here. Uh, in fact, before he died, Jesus didn't just know that he was going to die, but he knew that he was sick. Uh, a while before um, Lazarus had died, um, it wasn't really divine wisdom that Jesus knew that it was going to happen because, to be honest, Jesus got worried about the fact that Lazarus was sick. If you check out 11, 1 through 2, you can see, um, just read it with me. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So Jesus knew, right, because he got word from Lazarus' sisters, hey, Lazarus is sick. He's really sick. They said, come to Bethany. That Bethany, actually, for context, was a region uh, that, that was kind of like a hospice care type of situation. People that were dying or people that were extremely sick would come to uh, Bethany. It was a, a place uh, close to Jerusalem. And, and they would kind of re- receive, like, end-of-life care there, if that makes sense. And so when the word comes to Jesus, come to Bethany, because Lazarus is sick, it's saying, like, hey, this is serious. In fact, they even try to use some leverage, right? They're like, hey... The one you love is sick. It's like, hey, let's add some weight to that warning. And here's the kicker, right? This is where it gets strange. Upon hearing about Lazarus, the scriptures say that Jesus actually stays where he is for two more days without heading there. And we don't know why. Uh, It could have been that he was ministering to people and felt like he couldn't break away. It could have been that he was praying and asking God, what's your will? I don't want to go anywhere without, like, affirmation from you. It could have been that Jesus just desired to create uh, a circumstance where he was going to increase the faith of the people around him. We don't know. A lot of different people speculate on different things. Regardless, from Mary and Martha's perspective, this is what I want you to see. He was two days late. That's Mary and Martha's perspective. Because remember, they sent word to Jesus. That means they knew exactly where Jesus was. They knew exactly where he was. They knew exactly what town and region Jesus was staying in. That means they knew how long it should have taken for the message to get there. And that means they also knew how long it should have taken for Jesus to get back to them. And they were sitting there counting down the days. And like, where's this guy at? 
They expected him to just get up, drop what he was doing, and head over to them. They're, that's why they're even using language like the one you love is, is sick, right? They're adding weight to that type of warning. And I'm sure they were expecting him to drop everything. Um, but here's the thing. When Martha sees Jesus finally arrive, with all that in the background, she runs out to meet him. And her words are, are, are more than just um, words that are dripping with sorrow or mourning. Right? There's a deep what if to them, yes. But, but there's also... They're dripping with something more than just that, right? They're words that are dripping with pain and confusion and complexity, right? They drip with anger at the Messiah uh, that he was two days late, right? So she's saying, if you were here, which I know you could have been because I know where you were. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened, right? They, they drip of a sense of correction where even Martha is saying, if you had been here, right, we gave you all the warnings for you to get here on time and you weren't here. If it was me, I would have got here on time. Right, I've seen you heal blind men. You surely could have healed my brother, and then none of this would be on us. Right? But they also drip with faith. It's not just negatives. They drip with faith as well. You were strong enough. Right? You were powerful enough. I've seen you do miraculous things. You could have healed him because I know you are who you say you are. I've seen you do outlandish things. And here's the thing. It's easy for us as people to try, and it's, it's easy and it's maybe a little lazy, to try and categorize our responses to difficult situations and challenging moments and seasons as either good or bad. Right? They're either good or bad. They're either healthy or they're unhealthy. They're either righteous or they're unrighteous. They're either good or they're negative, positive or negative. And while there are definitely better and worse ways to handle things, healthier and less healthy ways to handle things, um, the reality is our responses to, to difficulty are often complex. They're often complex. Right? We feel feelings of resentment and frustration and impatience and faith and hope and discouragement. We have expectations for what we were hoping God would do in our lives. And when it doesn't go that way, we look at him and become very frustrated and angry. We have thoughts of how we would have handled it. And so we would have done things a little different the way God did them in our lives. And so now we have this little thing where we start to question, like, is God really wise or good? Or, or is he really committed to blessing me and to doing good in my life? Or is he not? Right? We have justifications of why we believe we deserve X, Y, and Z from God. Right? Like, like Mary washed his feet and anointed his feet and washed his feet with her hair. She was humble, a submitted good servant in her own eyes and probably in the eyes of a lot of people around her. And so when she's looking at Jesus and she's late to her need, he's, she might be looking and going like, man, I deserve better than this from you. Right? So, so we carry that. And at the same time, we have faith. At the same time, we believe that God is powerful, that he's big enough to do something differently if he'd wanted to. And sometimes it's that faith that actually makes things worse. It's that faith that actually makes it hurt more. Because right? we look and go, where were you? Because I know you're big enough that if you were here, everything would have been different. That's where Martha's at. It's, it's a simple statement. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But it carries so much humanity with it. Again, not just the easy and lazy act of saying, well, that's good and that's bad, but the re complex reality of human beings hurting and responding from a well of different emotions, a well of different places, a, a, a complex set of feelings. Sam, where were you? And some of us are like Martha, hear me, 
right? These things happen. We respond in a certain way, and we drop everything. We go meet Jesus, right? In the story, Mary stays back to mourn, and Martha drops everything when she hears, yo, Jesus is around. He's in the region. He's in the vicinity. She drops everything and runs down the road to meet him and comes in and is like, if you had just been here, right? And so some of us bring all of our troubles to God. We bring all of it and say, like, here's what I'm, I'm dealing with. Here's what I feel toward you, toward everything, toward them, toward the situation, toward myself. Here's what I'm feeling. But others of us don't do that. Right? Others of us begin to feel that set of complex emotions, the faith, the disappointment, the discouragement, the hurt, the anger, and we run and isolate away from God, maybe from other people, maybe even from ourselves. And instead of finding comfort in the one who says, I'm going to be your refuge, we start to find comfort in the bitterness that comes when we hold on to them feelings just a little too long. And all of a sudden, our refuge and our comfort is not the one that actually seeks to, to heal to encourage, to restore, but now is the one that says, if you just hold on to that feeling, no one will ever do that to you again. If you keep that sense of pessimism, you won't let anyone ever hurt you again, God himself included. And all of a sudden, we're shells of ourselves. Right? But, but then, again, this is our response. It's a very human response. And if this is where the story ended with our response, it would be a tragic story indeed. It would be a tragedy. It would be sad, right? You would look at the situation and be like, man, that that sucks. But praise God, that's not where the story ends, right? We have God's response. We have our response, but then we also have God's response, again, to the same situations, but also God's response to our response. And so check out verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, now this is just a few words, but there's a lot to kind of break down here. Does God see the complexity of Martha's feelings and say, all right, um, if that's how you want it, that's cool, right? Like, like stay to yourself, keep your little feelings to yourself. I was trying to come and make things better, but if you're going to get here and call me out, then you go ahead and stay here. Lazarus can stay in the grave. You made your choice. I'm going to make mine. Right? That, is that how God responds? No. No. Thank God, because I'm not going to lie. That's how I might respond sometimes. <laughs> sometimes my kids be like, I don't want daddy night. I'm like, fine, I don't want to give you lunch tomorrow. You know, like sometimes you be feeling like that as human beings. But thank God, right, we recognize that Jesus is fully human, but Jesus is fully God, right? He, he's the one that perfectly embodies how we would experience the tragedies of life, but perfectly encapsulates how God would desire for us to respond to those tragedies. If Jesus lived in my house and my kids were like, I don't want you to put me to sleep, I wouldn't be like, then you're not getting snow cones on Friday, right? Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. He'd be like, you're going to get snow cones and everything else, man. I'll see you tomorrow. Your boy's not that strong. But what I'm getting at is he doesn't respond that way, right? He draws near to Martha. In compassion, he looks at her and says, your brother will rise. He gives her hope. Friend, I want you to hear this. I think it's important to take note of this here. In your moments of pain and confusion, here's the thing. God doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want your perfection. He doesn't want your stamina. He doesn't want your strength. In your moments of deep pain and difficulty, he wants to give something to you. He wants to give you compassion. He wants to give you hope. He wants to provide you his strength. It's just that often we're so busy trying to give him what we have that we forget to receive what he's giving to us. So God doesn't want nothing from you in the midst of your pain and difficulty. He wants to give something to you. And here he offers Martha, here's hope. Your brother will rise. But even then, from what we can tell, Martha's not big on this response, 
right? right? She, she responds, I know he will at, at the day of resurrection. And this is important because to know what's happening here, uh, we need to understand this idea just a little bit. When Martha responds, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. She's talking about this teaching that, that by the time of Jesus was, was widely held, and it was a belief that God would one day intervene in the oppression, sorrow, bitterness, uh, pain of his people. That he would intervene by raising the dead, by wiping every tear away, by healing every person, by restoring every life, by changing every heart. He would show up and he would say, I'm here. It's, it's done. I'm, it's finished. I'm going to make everything right. And what Martha's words are saying is that I, I know that day's coming. I know he will rise again at the, at the resurrection at the last day, but that day's not today. That day is coming, but in the moment, I'm still hopeless because my brothers have still passed. Our people are still oppressed by the Romans. I still live in Bethany where I'm surrounded by sick and dying people in their last days. That may be coming one day, but right now I'm not there. This is where I'm at. So even in the midst of Jesus' response to give, she's still focusing like, no, man, but this is where I'm at right now. I know he will at the last day. I know. And I know how many of you feel this way, right? That, that idea that God will make it better one day, but today is not that day. And I hope you'll change me and my life and my heart and the way I act and the way I live like this or that one day or another, but today's not that day. I hope you can change him. I hope you can change her, but that day is not that day. I hope you can restore my marriage. I hope you can heal my relationship with my children, but that day ain't today. And so we sit there and we rest in it and go, I know that you're saying it's hopeful. I know we're going to go and sing the songs about Jesus resurrecting, and I know we're going to go to church, and one day it'll be all right, but that day's not today. And it's this exact feeling, this exact response that makes Jesus' next word so incredibly powerful because he responds, I am the resurrection. The day you've hoped for is here. The day where God intervenes and enters into the plight of humanity and the brokenness and the pain is here. The day where people are healed and changed and where freedom is found is here. It may not look exactly like what you thought it was going to look like. I may be a broke carpenter from Nazareth. It may not have been when you thought it was going to be because I may be two days late according to your timeline. It may not happen exactly the way you think it's going to, but the reality of your day is the day is here because I'm here. Hear me, friend. The story of Jesus is not just that he has brought a beautiful future to us through the resurrection, right? But that the very thing that makes that future beautiful has now drawn near to us and is now with us. Even when it feels like that future is far away, we have the truth and the reality that the very thing that makes this future beautiful is not just there waiting for me. The thing that makes this future beautiful is with me now. The very thing that gives the future its hope, that gives the future its joy, that gives the future its peace is not the experience or circumstance of it brings hope, joy, and peace, right? Martha looks at Jesus and says, I know hope is coming. I know the resurrection is coming. It'll get here one day, and that day everything will be made right. What she didn't know is that, the, that hope is not just a feeling. Hope is a person. 
And that joy is not just an emotion. Joy is a person. And that peace isn't just a circumstance or a moment, but that peace is a person. And that the resurrection she was hoping in, the day she was hoping would come to, re, to restore and to redeem and heal and to rescue and all that good stuff, was not a moment in time, but was a person there with her in her presence. Like that newfound love when you're hanging out with the person you had a little crush on, and maybe you do have a little crush on, or whatever your love life is like, you pick your story and scenario, like those moments when you're hanging out with that person, and then you leave after spending what should have been an hour, but it ended up being five, and then you go home, and you're like, man, I got butterflies inside, and I feel like I'm on top of the world, and, and to be honest, the, the colors in my closet have taken on a whole new brightness, and, and the TV seems a little bit clearer, and, and to be honest, the, the sky's a little bit bluer, and, and the clouds are a little bit whiter, like the moments that bring life when we find the one we love, likewise, the presence of Jesus in our life when we know it and when we actively invite it, when we engage with him, brings healing that we don't know how it gets there. It brings peace and we don't know how it arrives. It brings joy and like the moment when I left, the, the first few times I hung out with my wife Rachel was just like, man, this white girl got me feeling some kind of way, right? Like, like that moment when we are in the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden we start going, man, this Savior got me feeling some type of way. I once was lost, but now I feel found. I once was hopeless, but now I feel hope. I once felt broken, but now I feel healed. I once felt sorrowful, but now I feel joy. I don't know what's happening, but I know that whatever it is that I needed seems to be found when I'm with him. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying, hey, you're hoping for that day, but you got something better in front of you. I am that day, and I'm here with you. Your brother's going to rise. Friend, in the midst of your tiredness, in the midst of moments where you're struggling, where you might have pain, where you might come upon difficulties, what our hearts long for most, hear me, because of the work of Jesus, because of the resurrection, is not, is not a far off. What your heart in this moment, and, and hear me, I don't know your story. I don't know your story. I understand that you might have gone through things that I can't imagine. You may have experienced things that I can't imagine. And you may be saying, I don't know what I need. And bro, I'm not even sure you can tell me what I need. I don't know if there's a counselor or psychiatrist out there that can tell me what I need. I'm not trying to trivialize what you've gone through, trivialize your need, or tell you that it's small enough that Jesus can handle it. What I'm trying to tell you is what your heart longs for most is in Jesus, not because it's so small that Jesus got it, but because Jesus is so big, it can't compare. He's with us. He's drawn close to us. The person of Jesus, the resurrection, the good shepherd, the, the way, the truth, the life, our living hope, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. He's not away, but rather he's drawn close. And in our deepest moments of struggle, he's saying, I'm with you. Until the end of the age, I'm with you. Friend, that's the reality that the resurrection is pointing to, right? The reality of victory. The reality of victory over sin and over death and over brokenness and over the darkness of the world, right? Like, like this is what the resurrection 
points to, that God is moving to rescue and to love and to restore lives is not a far-off plan. It's not a plan that you have to get to one day. It's God's plan for you right now. That's what's happening right now. He's setting people free right now. He's giving people peace right now. He's exchanging sorrow for joy right now. He's giving hope to the hopeless right now. Right? He's changing hearts and lives right now. Not in time. No, now. Why? Because Jesus is with you. Right? It's not a story that we read and go, that's good for them. The truth is that Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me. He rose from the dead and is alive. That's what we're celebrating today uh, on Easter. And, and he's given us his spirit to know him and to be connected with him forever. That's the truth of of the life that we are invited into. The, the invitation today from this text is not to wait for the day, right? That's the invitation. The invitation is not, sorry, I said that wrong. I'm going get twisted if I don't correct that. The invitation for today is not wait for the day. That's not the invitation from a text like this, right? The invitation is taste and see. The invitation is come and see. The invitation is come to me. Right, come to Jesus and experience God moving now. Our invitation is to tap into what God wants to do in our lives now, in your heart now. Let me go, let me say this. Because for some of us, we hear this and we're still wrestling with the, the complex set of feelings we talked about in the beginning. Let me say this the invitation is to bring all of the complex feelings to Him, bring the frustration, bring the disappointment, bring the confusion, bring the pain, bring all that junk. God's not intimidated by that. He ain't, he ain't wait two days and was like, man, I'm running kind of late. I probably shouldn't go see Martha because I don't know what I'm going to tell her. She's going to say, where were you? I'm going to be like, I don't know where I was. Like, that's not what Jesus does. He waits two days, shows up, and she says, if you had been here, if you had been here, I sent it days ago. And he says, your brother's going to rise because I am the resurrection and I'm here. That's how he responds. So bring the pain. Bring the complex set of emotions. Bring the doubt, bring it all, and allow God to do more with those emotions than we ever could hanging on to them on our own, right? Bring them. That's the invitation from a text like this today. It may not look the way we expected. I want to be clear about things. I think Martha and Mary in the situation of Lazarus is a great example that that joint may not look the way you thought it was going to look, and it may not be in the time frame that you thought it was going to be. And it may not be the exact type of rescue that you thought you should have, but it will be what our hearts and souls deeply need and long for, even beyond what we thought we needed and longed for. Because again, the resurrection is an invitation to the reality that God meets us where we are and blesses us with that which we really need. If you don't know the rest of the story, and I'm running low on time, so I'm going to zip through this part, all right? Shortly after this, Jesus walks up to the tomb like an absolute boss. And uh, he tells everyone, move the stone. And they're all like, dude, it's the Middle East, and this dude's been buried for like four days now. There's going to be, let's say this politely, an aroma. He's like, move it anyway. I'm like, all right. And so all of a sudden, they move the stone. And Jesus utters some of the most powerful words. 
that are recorded in the Bible, facing an open grave and a dead body, Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come out. And the scriptures say that the man comes out in burial clothes, tied up, and it has to be like, take him off of him. Because my man was once dead, but now he's alive. Because I'm here. Friend, I want to ask you a series of questions, not to shame you, but to invite you. In what area of your life uh, is Jesus calling you to come to him? And in what spaces of your life do you have a complex set of emotions that you're kind of like, I don't think I want to deal with this with you right now, man. I'm going to hold this to myself. I've been disappointed. I've been frustrated. I've been disheartened. I've been disappointed. And to be honest, I got to hold this to myself right now. And he keeps bidding you, come, bring that to me. It ain't going to be too much for me. Bring it to me. Right? Where are you holding on to that right now? Where are you holding on to those things and saying, nah, and resisting that invitation? Come. Come, be open about it. To be honest, like, where do you do that even? Like, do you do it in community? Do you have a church or Christian community that you're able to share those things with? Right? We invite you to partake in ours. Are you just praying and leveling, just, just putting it out there with God, Right? In your prayer life, are you trying to, like, pray to God and be like, thank you for this food, blase, blase. Uh, I appreciate everything you do for me. Amen. But inside, you're like, but I wish you would have done this. Man, be open with it in the prayer space, whatever your prayer space is. If you're going, like, full on, like, like I said, I grew up Pentecostal. If you're going full on, like, closets, you do you, right? If it's, like, in a car ride and you're just, like, weeping as you're driving the car, one, be safe. Two, don't worry about the people that are looking around you. They got their own issues. They ain't dealing with them. So you do, you do you and handle yours. Even if it's just in the car talking to God and you're just like, man, if you had just this and put it out there with them. I promise you, friends, as we give ourselves to that type of work, bringing our hearts, bringing our lives, bringing our complex set of feelings, our complex responses to God and what he's doing in our lives, I promise you the God that, that Jesus describes in his words. Again, if, this is who, if we believe that Jesus is God, he's making these outlandish claims and this is true, man, the God we see in this, in these, in this book, in these words, he ain't going to just be like, that's too much for me. He's going to press in and be with you. He's going to work in you, and he's going to meet you where you are, and he promises to bless you with exactly what you need. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time today. Um, Thank you, Father, that even as we, I mean, you know, celebrate the resurrection, that we celebrate this reality, the truth, Right? What, what we as Christians would say is verifiable truth, that, that the person of Jesus existed, that he lived, that he died at the hands of Romans, but we know he died at the hands uh, of, of sin. And the good judge in his father, that he lived, died, and that he resurrected. We, we worship and praise you today at the truth that this resurrection is not for the sake of show, but this resurrection is for the sake of us. It's for the sake of glory to your Father. It's for the sake that we could come to you with everything that we have and lay it at your feet and invite you to meet us where we are.
invite you to bless us with what we need. We thank you today, Father. We don't worship a God that's afar off, nor do we worship a God that's not intimate, but rather we worship the King of Kings, the Good Shepherd, the Alpha and the Omega, the Resurrection, who in your goodness has drawn close to us and invited us to come, to know you, to experience you, and therefore to take part in the life that you have and that you desire to give us. We love you. We thank you. We place this time and our hearts in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 